Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be with you this morning. I'm very pleased, most of all, to be in the right place, as one of my colleagues at St Mungo's texted me first thing and wished me all the best at St Thomas's. Uh, so I'm, I'm quite pleased that I have ended up uh, in the right church. I don't know how many of you might remember um, a year ago on Chris Evans' breakfast show, the last Friday before Christmas, um, Gregory Porter, the American jazz singer, was on live with his band. And it was the end of the show, and the thought for the day was done. And it was a minister there who did the thought for the day uh, in the time leading up for Christmas. And Gregory Porter was due to sing straight after. Well, he did sing, but he didn't sing the song that he was expected to sing. He just launched, completely without his band, into a carol from his childhood, a song from his childhood. Now, I was in the car at the time when I heard it, and it was a moment where all the hairs on the back of your neck stood on end. He's got an amazing voice, but he was singing an amazing song. It was a powerful, powerful moment. And the strangest thing was, the text started pouring into the show from people who were crying in their cars, losing their mascara on the way to work. What's happened to me? What was that song? What was it? And in that moment, I don't know, Gregory Porter's background is his mother was a minister. Um, I don't know if he's a Christian, has an active faith. But in that moment, there were things happening. There was the power of music and song, but there was the power of truth that was coming out. And he sang, a little child will lead them as prophets told of old. It wasn't a familiar carol. He sang those words about Isaiah. And across the UK, people were being moved by something they didn't necessarily know what it was, but it was truth and it was power. And this morning, I want to talk to you from the passage we've just had read about the amazing power of worship, the amazing power of worship for us in the church and as we sing out over a world that needs us to be singing out. This passage is a doorway into worship. It's more than singing, we know that. We know worship is our whole lives. But this morning I'm going to focus specifically on what we do when we sing, what we do when we proclaim, and I mean liturgy, words of truth, when we're all together and we proclaim truth about God. I want us to think this morning about the fact that worship is not an elite sport for the spiritually mature, but a vital part of the life of the church. And it has more effects than we might ever dream or think of when we're engaged in it. Now, the passage you've just heard is Isaiah 42. So just to give an overview, the first 40 chapters of Isaiah are very much a uh, judgment passage. Judgment chapters are quite heavy going, to be honest with you. And it's, it's about the people of Israel and their, their repeated stumblings, their repeated falls, and how they were being dealt with. And at this time, they're in exile in Babylon. And then we move out of Isaiah, into Isaiah 40 and onwards, and suddenly we get these incredible words of hope and of truth and of power and of a plan. There is a plan, and the plan is Jesus. And there's four servant songs in Isaiah that speak forth, that tell of something, someone who's going to come. And the words that we're reading this morning are the first response to the first servant song, the first whispers of hope, the first shouts of a, a rescuer, a redeemer. 
Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. Let the desert and its towns lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Sela sing for joy. Let them shout from the tops of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. That's like a worship package. There is every possible word there to describe what we do when we proclaim. Shout, praise, sing aloud, give glory. But the thing is, this wasn't just written for the people of God. And that's the amazing thing about this passage. As we move forward in Isaiah, we start to hear that these words are not just for rescuing the Israelites. These words are for the world. And we know that because of the description. When the the scripture starts to talk about towns and villages and mountains, it's referring to the people of the whole world. That's the amazing message of Christmas. And that's the door that opened when Jesus came into the world. It was no longer something for the people of God only. It was for the whole world. The light of the Gentiles was coming. And it wasn't just going to be for this small people group. This is a new song they're being called to. Light is coming into the world, and they have to sing out praise. And then we get into slightly um, more intense verses, so we say. The Lord goes forth like a soldier. He stirs up his fury. He's going to show himself mighty against his foes. All is going to be made well. There will be justice. Things will be sorted. God is mighty and powerful. He's not cuddly and safe. He is mighty and powerful and things will be sorted. For a long time I've held my peace. I've restrained myself. Now I cry out like a woman labor, gasp and pant. I'll lay waste the mountains. There is going to be drama in the rescue. There's going to be a time of waiting. Just like a pregnancy, there's going to be a time of waiting, but something's going to have to happen. Birth is going to have to happen. And in the midst of the trauma and pain of birth, that's what's required to bring forth life. And then the final verses in our passage. I will lead the blind by a road they do not know. By paths they have not known, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness before them into light and the rough places into level ground. These are the things I will do and I will not forsake them. This is, these are powerful words of hope to a people and also to a world who are lost. Light is coming to the world and the path will be made easier. It's a powerful, powerful message of grace. So why worship? Why do we need these responses of worship when we hear about the power and amazingness of God? When we hear about the grace and love of God, why do we need to worship? I have to make a small confession to you at this point, which I'm not proud of. When I first went to St. Mungo's Church, I went there because there were boys. I was probably 19 or 20, and my cousin uh, went to St. Mungo's, and I heard the rumor that there were boys, indeed there were boys, and I went to St. Mungo's Church. I was actually a Christian, I'm also slightly embarrassed to say, but whilst I was there, Malcolm Brown joined the church. 
I stayed because of his incredible preaching. I had never heard anybody preach the word like Malcolm preached the word. Now, I'd had a lot of teaching in my time, and I'd had really good, strong teaching. I was at the Tron, Sandyford Henderson in Glasgow, really powerful teaching, and I really benefited from that. But I had never heard someone who connected head and heart, spirit and Christ and God, and, and power that really spoke to me like I was the only person in the room. So I stayed at St. Mungo's because I loved the preaching. I struggled with the worship. I struggled with worship that to me in some ways seemed a bit over the top on the emotional front, if you don't mind me saying. I struggled with the fact it seemed to go on for quite a long time. I struggled that it seemed a bit chaotic. I liked a hymn that started at the beginning and got to the end, preferably with a hymn book in my hand. I liked all of that. Three years later, I found myself as worship director of St. Mungo's Church. God worked in me a remarkable work a remarkable thing happened that worship for me became the doorway into the reality of God. In some way, I couldn't write it down how it happened, but in some way, the stuff that was here became here through worship. Worship was the doorway for me into the reality of God. And for many of us in the church, and for many in our world that's desperate, worship can be the way to access our God. You'll have the same, but we have the situation in St. Mungo's sometimes where people come in who are not believers, they haven't met Jesus yet, and they'll come into our worship and they'll just cry. They're they're kind of embarrassed. This is men sometimes as well. And they're not crying because of the quality of our worship, I hasten to add. They just cry. They don't know why they're crying. The reason they're they're crying is they have had an experience of God in the room. They might not know what it is, but because they're in the body of the church who is praising God, they have had an experience of God. We should never underestimate the power of sung worship, proclamation, saying who God is, being together as a body. You know, the command to sing is found all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, in the Psalms 96, 98, 1 Chronicles 16, the ark comes into Jerusalem and David's having a fantastic time. They're singing calls to new songs all the way through. But think about what happens when Jesus is born. If you read Matthew 1, Mary sings. That's her response. Tell out my soul, the Magnificat, the greatness of the Lord. And then Zechariah, when he gets his voice back, he sings. It's the first thing he does, Zechariah's song. And then the next thing that happens is the poor frightened shepherds is all these angels start singing. The Bible is full of people singing in response to revelation, in response to something that they go, wow. And then we only need to go to the book of Revelation to realize that we're going to be doing quite a lot of singing in heaven and the new earth. So if you don't like it now, you better start getting used to it. We're going to worship a lot. It's all through scripture. Why does it matter that we take it seriously? The first time I wrote this, when I first wrote this talk, I was embarrassed because I actually forgot, didn't put this first point in first. I actually went red in my study on my own when I realized that I'd left this out. The reason it matters is because we are called to give glory to God. The reason it matters is because it's all about him. The reason it matters is because in some way, we may not understand it, but in some way we seem to have been created to worship. Now, if we don't worship God, it will come out in other ways. 
And we see it, sometimes it comes out in other ways that aren't helpful, but we see it and we sense it sometimes at a rugby match, for example, when they start singing. And again, the hairs on your neck stand on end, because in some ways, people are engaging in something that's almost a sense, a whisper of a history that they once knew, but they don't, they didn't know, don't know now. They don't know what this is happening to them. There's a reality in worship. He is the only one who is worthy, and our worship is not dependent on how we feel. And that's the hardest thing. That is the hardest thing. It's not dependent on whether we're having a good day or a bad day. It's dependent on who God is. And that's the first command, in essence, of us to come and worship because of who he is. And sometimes we'll be like David in the ark and we'll be, whoa, preferably with our clothes on. We will be dancing. But sometimes we're with Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. So there's an element in proclamation, and this is why we need each other. Because in this room this morning, there will be a percentage of people who the last thing you feel like doing is praising God. And actually, you quite like to come down and slap me for my enthusiasm. And there's some people in the room who, like, you're bouncing. You want, like, 16 songs, please. And the beauty of the body of Christ is we'll all have those different phases throughout our whole lives. And when we come together, we all hold each other up. And there's another element to that. And it's about the power of proclamation in the heavenly realms, if you want to call it that. I don't think we realize the power of what we do when we sing together and proclaim who God is. I don't think we realize what's happening in the spiritual realms. It's something we talk about in St. Mungo's about having an open heaven, that there's a sense that it's very easy to minister and to sense God's presence and to see God moving. And our sense is it's come because as a worshiping church, it's almost like you create a space. And suppose St. George's, to give you your posh name, you are in such a strategic position in Edinburgh. You're right in the middle. You're right here on a Sunday morning, meters away from the shopping, beautiful center of Edinburgh, proclaiming the name of God. You, you're so lucky. You know, we're at the end of the Water of Leith, so we think of it from a distance. We're singing, and it's coming, there's a sort of power coming down the Water of Leith. You are right in the middle, proclaiming the power of God. And the sense I have, the word I have this morning is flagship, not, not flagship from the point of view of being the sort of center of it, but like there's a big flag sticking up out of St. Paul's and St. George's that is proclaiming to the world around, this is who God is. This is what he's about. Now, you may and I may never know how that all works, but there is something. When your guests come in for soul food, do you know there'll be something? There's a sense of the presence of God because of the worship, because we lift up his name, because we praise him. And the wonderful and amazing and kind thing about God is not only, though, do we get this opportunity to praise the one we love and to worship him, when we do that, we get the benefit too. When we worship God, we get the benefit. Now, the first thing that helps us is worshiping God reminds us what we believe. Worshiping God reminds us what we believe. And that's why it matters what we sing. 
Now, I am slightly amused, and I do forgive you for this statement, but there's somebody here who heard my sermon, this variety of this sermon, three weeks ago and said, do you know, I can't actually remember what you said, so I'm looking forward to hearing it again. <laughs> Thanks. But the fact is, there is a statistic that says people remember something like 78 or 80% of what they sing and only 2 or 3% of what they hear. How depressing is that, Richard? Singing put stuff into our heart and our soul. I can remember seeing a little boy walking across to the car park in front of my house, and he said to his mum, do you know God's got the whole world in his hands? So you can imagine what song he'd been singing at nursery or wherever he'd been. He's got the whole world in his hands. There's truth that needs to be, like, marinated into us. Now, we get that from reading the Word and memorizing the Word, but so much of it will come through music, especially when you're tired and you've got young children or you're dealing with looking after elderly parents or whatever, worship marinates you and soaks you and fills you so long as you are singing words of truth. Now, we need everything. We need these very simple songs of love, but we need the songs of truth. We should never apologize for singing hymns. Do you know, we should never apologize for those incredible theologies that can... Now, some of them are terrible, but, but there's some terrible Tim Hughes songs out there too. Okay. When I said that, St. Mungo's was a sort of boo across the congregation. You know, they were more upset about that than anything else. The carols that we sing, if you think about, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Now, when I was 10 years old and singing that, I didn't understand it. But it stayed with me. And the power of that now, and just the depth, we shouldn't be afraid of depth in words. We shouldn't be afraid. We have a big, massive God. We need massive, big words sometimes to describe him. And the beauty of the carols you're going to be singing for the coming weeks is they are going to marinate you with these powerful, powerful theological truths. And then you'll have other songs that will just remind you of the love of God and the power of God. When we sing and we worship as a body, it's like the haka for the church. That's the way to think about it. It's the haka. This is who we are. This is what we believe. It shouldn't be half-hearted. It shouldn't be disengaged. Imagine the New Zealand team went out and only one of them engaged. We are singing about this incredible God to a world who is cynical, disillusioned, thinks we're all slightly mad, possibly. We believe this about God. And if we can't sing it, how can we expect people to come in and believe it? That's the thing. That's the power of worship. And the other lovely thing that happens in worship that's just such a generous gift of God is we're sort of recalibrated in worship. We live in a world where it's quite difficult sometimes to hold on to your faith. It's quite difficult not to be exhausted or stressed. I work, my other job is, is working for the University of Edinburgh as a vet sort of four days a week. It's, life is busy. Life is stressful. I see people around me in the stress of life. Sometimes we just need recalibrated. I have a, I don't run very often, but when I do run, I have a little app on my iPod shuffle and it records how far I've run and it tells me at the end of my run what's happened. And, the problem is, it's got a glitch at the moment where every time I finish running, it tells me I've run 50 kilometers. Now, I run for half an hour. At best, four. And this little voice goes, well done. 
Well, it's actually Tiger Woods' voice. Uh, well done, You've, you have completed another 500 kilometers. Now, I've taken, one day I'm going to get into trouble because I just walk along my street going, thank you, thank you. It's, 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 something's gone wrong with its calibration. It's telling me a lie. Now, in this, I'm quite happy to believe it. Yes, 500 kilometers. But you see, in life, we get decalibrated, different truths, and, and we get wobbly, and we get sort of squint. When we worship, and we're together, and we're singing truth, we get recalibrated. That's one of the powers and the gifts of God in worship. And at the same time as that, we get a new perspective. Again, it's difficult to keep a clear perspective in the world we live in sometimes. You know, all the goings on with the last couple of weeks in the news, life in general, sometimes you lose perspective. And what worship does is it takes you and reminds you of a godly perspective. Um, Tommy Tenney in his book writes about worship being like a small child in an elevator where everybody's really tall and they can't see what's going on. And the dad picks them up and puts the child on his shoulders so they can see. And so worship allows us to see the truth that we've lost track on. It has a profound impact on how we live. There's not many of us churches who have so many um, gifts, if you like, in worship, who have the resources to worship in the way St. Mungo's can worship, St. Paul's and St. George's can worship, who have, I'm not jealous, beautiful buildings like this. To be honest, I would be happy if St. Mungo's just had that cupboard. That, I'm jealous of that storage cupboard. Our storage cupboard is, is about this height, so every time you go into it, you run a severe risk of concussion every time. So I would be happy with just this cupboard, never mind the building, by the by. Not many places have these resources of teaching, of people, of, of money, of Holy Spirit presence. And the world is crying out for all of these things to be used to impact the world. And worship is not a separate part. It's not your like little side benefit of being in a church. It's the core of what you do. So whether it's your Saturday night soul food, whether it's your vestry or your kids' work or the other work you do in the community, worship is like the coal fire for the church. And what goes on there will profoundly affect what goes on everywhere else. And as churches, we have to be grateful for God, to God for what he's given us, but also make use of what is a remarkable gift to us. And never, it's so easy when you've, I mean, I, you know, I was a worship director 15, 20 years. It's so easy to get used to it and just to kind of assume. But this is a precious, precious gift that we've been given to be able to proclaim the name and worship God. I'm going to finish with a, a quote from John Ortberg. It's quite a long quote, but it's worth reading. I strongly believe that the way we live is a consequence of the size of our God. The problem many of us have is that our God is too small. We are not convinced that we are absolutely safe in the hands of a fully competent, all-knowing, ever-present God. When human beings shrink God, they offer prayer without faith, work without passion, service without joy, suffering without hope. It results in fear, retreat, loss of vision, and failure to persevere. How can I change my perspective? How can I live in a way that reflects the fact that I follow a God who is so big? 
There is a word for the process by which human beings come to perceive and declare the vastness, worthiness, and strength of God. It is called worship. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for everything that you have given us that allows us to come and worship you, to be together as a body, to lift up your name, to be transformed, and then to have an impact on the world we live in. Lord, would we never take it for granted? And we pray, Father, for your continued blessing and inspiration. And for those of us who struggle with the whole concept of worship, Lord God, we pray for that melting of our hearts and that releasing that would allow us to sense your presence with us. Lord, we love to be in your presence. And we want more people who don't know you to be able to come in and know that you are surely in this house. And we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit that that would happen. Amen.